Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, We've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. Hey, it's Will Friedell. And Sabrina Bryan. And we're the hosts of the new podcast, Magical Rewind. You may know us from some of your favorite childhood TV movies, like My Date with the President's Daughter. And the Cheetah Girls movies. Together, we're sitting down to watch all the movies you grew up with and chat with some of your favorite stars and crew that made these iconic movies happen. So kick back, grab your popcorn, and join us. Listen to Magical Rewind on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Brought to you by State Farm. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. BCI's Julia Everslade says Angela Wagner's cell phone activity showed several disturbing entries. He never called Chris Sr. like he told BCI agents after Chris died. Digital data plays such a huge role in all of these cases. You begin to see these little electronic breadcrumbs as to their activity. This is the Piketon Massacre, Return to Pike County, Season 4, Episode 13, The Digital Trail. I'm Courtney Armstrong, a television producer at KT Studios with Stephanie Lidecker and Jeff Shane. It's important to note that Billy Wagner, George Wagner's father, whose trial is upcoming, has pled not guilty to all charges. We've so far heard reams of testimony from different ballistics experts, from the coroner who did the autopsies on the Roden family, from the victim's family members. Last episode, we heard from Billy Wagner, and now we hear more from the rest of the Wagners. But the day begins with a hearing before Judge Deering regarding the use of technology and media in the trial. Here's James Pilcher, longtime investigative reporter in Cincinnati, now with Local 12. This was a big day for the media covering the trial because the day before, the appeals court ruled that whatever's shown in court, we can show either through still photographs, streaming, video, whatever, because the judge had previously said he tried to put a ban on anything involving blood, involving minors, or involving bodies. And that's against the rules of jurisprudence in Ohio. Anything that's shown in court can be shown publicly. Now, it's up to us to self-censor. This morning's hearing is over how the appellate court's ruling will affect the photos and videos that are presented in the trial moving forward. It harkens back to the beginning of the trial when so much was about what would and would not be allowed to be released by the media. Our concern is that some of these photos that are bloody and gruesome that the court previously did not want to publish um, could affect the jury. 
Defense attorney John Parker argues that jurors could go online and see images that were not previously introduced as evidence, and that that could taint the view of the defendant, George Wagner IV. And as much as family members or other people who know they're on the jury see something and try to want to talk to them about it, it's just a provocation um, that could deny my client a fair trial. And that's our concern. Judge Daring asked the prosecution about the possibility of the jury viewing sensitive material, in particular material that is not being admitted into evidence. Assuming the jurors are following the court's order, there's absolutely no reason to assume they're not, then they're not going to be looking at any type of media or being exposed to anything out in the media anyway. Yeah, that would be our position, Your Honor. It's, it's not gross and it doesn't be fixed. In the end, Judge Deering sides with the news media and the prosecution. That morning, the judge has a hearing and says, hey, we've got to abide by this. And from now on, you go ahead and use the screens, but know that it's going to be, it can be shown. And that the prosecution at that point had been going to the photographers and saying, hey, this is going to have blood in it. Don't show it. Well, it was allowing the prosecutors to self-censor or censor what was going to be shown and what wasn't. And that's really not what the court is supposed to happen. So, yeah, that was a big day. With the media policy clarified, the trial resumes. Special Prosecutor Angie Kanepa and her team call Ohio BCI Intelligence Supervisor Dana Forney to the stand. Forney was a criminal intelligence analyst at the time of the murders in 2016. As investigators were looking into the Wagners, Agent Forney analyzed their cell phone data. Forney says she first looked at Billy Wagner's cell records in the months and days leading up to the murders on April 21st and 22nd, 2016. Forney has been working in the Criminal Intelligence Unit for 10 years. She wears a purple shirt with a black blazer and is calm and confident on the stand. Forney lays out why she was looking into the phone records of Billy Wagner, father of the defendant, and also accused murderer. Once Billy was interviewed by the investigative team, uh, they requested the records to either corroborate or, or refute any statements that he made um, about his locations, who he was calling. Uh, so the investigative team had asked me to just take a look at the records and create a map of where Billy was uh, on the day of the 21st and the 22nd. Okay. And so did you do that? Yes. Angie Kanepa brings the map on the screen for the courtroom to see. It shows various cell towers and their relation to the three crime scenes as well as the Wagner residences. Agent Forney also had access to the call log so she could see who Billy Wagner was calling and who was calling Billy. On April 21st, the day of the murders, there were several calls from Billy Wagner's son, George IV. Those stopped at around 5.44 p.m. It was at 5.55 p.m. when Billy made his last phone call of the day. The last outgoing call from this device that night of April 21st uh, was to Christopher Roden Sr. Billy Wagner's last call of the night was to Christopher Roden Sr. Chris Roden tried to call Billy back five separate times up until 10.15 p.m. Each time, it went to voicemail. Previous testimony stated that Chris Roden was likely murdered soon after 11 p.m. Can you tell us did that device of Billy Wagner's ever make any attempts to contact Chris Sr.'s phone after receiving those series of calls the night before that were routed to voicemail? No. Okay. Even though he checked his voicemail that following morning? Yes. 
did you see any evidence whatsoever that he ever called or attempted to call Chris Roden Sr. after that last call to him shortly before 6 p.m. on April 21st of 2016? There were no outgoing calls from Billy's phone to Chris Roden Sr. So the other thing that they found in those records, of course, was that he never called Chris Sr. like he told BCI agents after Chris died. You know, he said he destroyed his phones and he got a new number because he kept getting upset at himself because he kept calling Chris Sr.'s phone by accident because he was his best friend. Well, they proved that never happened. Using triangulation of the cell towers and the geolocation of Billy's cell phone, Agent Forney was also able to narrow down Wagner's location when he used his phone. When I conducted the analysis first of just his common towers, uh, these were the, the most common towers in Billy's records, um, the two that service the area of the Flying W and the one that um, services the area of Peterson Road. The Flying W was where Billy Wagner's parents lived. Billy spent most nights there. The Peterson Road address was where Angela, Jake, and George Wagner lived. Prosecutor Canepa asked about the location of Billy's cell phone the day of the murders and the day after. She also asked if there was a change in Billy's habits on those days. So significant to you would be if the last outgoing or incoming contact or communication was at a particular location at that night and then also in that same location in the morning, correct? Would yes. indicate to you a, a habit of, of spending the night or whatever? Yes. Canepa pulls up on the big screen a calendar of Billy's cell phone locations during the month of April. This is April 2016's calendar of Billy's uh, last serving cell site and first serving cell site. Okay. And specifically, you have the last cell site, which is the uh, services, the Peterson Road address, correct? Yes. At 11.04 p.m. and then the first phone utilization the following morning also still located at Peterson Road, correct? Correct. And why was that significant, I guess, that on April 21st, the device was at Peterson Road when typically it would be at the Flying W? There were just uh, comments made to the investigative team about um, the family was all together that night, uh, and we didn't know if that was uh, common for them to all be together uh, at Peterson Road. And then, again, through kind of the end of April, do you see that same pattern continuing as far as the Peterson Road address? Yes, so then from that point forward, you see a, a shift in the device's behavior that now the, the typical last serving cell site and first serving cell site the next morning are in the Peterson Road area. And the other thing they were able to show is that leading up to the murders, that Billy, up until then, his phone at night when he would go to bed was at the Flying W. After the murders for at least a month and a half, and except for the times they went to Alaska, it was at Peterson Road. So that was a major alteration in his behavior on the day after the murders. Here's Stephanie and Jeff. And by the way, this is the very, very first time I've personally ever heard that Billy Wagner accused father that he wasn't sleeping home. And while this evidence doesn't necessarily tie George Wagner directly to the murders, it does support the prosecution's argument that the Wagners were in contact and were physically together the night of the murders. It's fascinating now that we can better understand 
the comings and goings of everyone based on their cell phones. And it's always interesting to see behind the curtain a little bit about an investigation, cell towers, information regarding where their cell phones were. It kind of becomes this map. And in many cases, that's extremely meaningful. I will say in this case, again, we're not seeing too, too much yet about George, but it is certainly interesting to see where everybody else was and who they had been calling in those final days. People were frustrated with law enforcement's timeline of how long it took to make arrests or how the public felt like they didn't know what was going on. But I think this kind of police work just proves that, like you said, behind the curtain, there was a lot of investigative work happening that really helps not just get an arrest, but hopefully a conviction. What's your inclination? Does that mean that Billy Wagner, Q's father, was calling victim father Chris Roden to see if he was home at that hour and doing sort of a, a scout to just see if typically he's home between those certain hours? I think it probably points to Billy Wagner knowing that every cell phone call is tracked or could be tracked and he is, you know, planting some seed or trying to lay some sort of what will eventually be his defense. Good point. It should also be important to note, Steph, that while the cell phone data helps give an idea of Billy Wagner's location and habits before and after the murders, it doesn't actually detail what was said during these phone calls. More importantly, it doesn't specify how the Wagners allegedly coordinated the killings. All of that is about to change with the next witness called by the prosecution, Julia Eveslidge, a BCI agent who analyzed the search history, images, and text messages on Angela Wagner's phone. BCI's Julia Everslade says Angela Wagner's cell phone activity showed several disturbing entries. Here's forensic medical examiner Joseph Scott Morgan. Digital data plays such a huge role in all of these cases. You begin to see this little, uh, what I refer to as electronic breadcrumbs as to their activity. Agent Eversledge wears a purple blazer and white shirt. She has dirty blonde hair that falls to her shoulders. On the stand, she speaks in a very matter-of-fact manner about the Google searches of Angela Wagner. So the, the bottom line here is a Google search for Alaska houses for sale um, in what I believe to be in Seward, uh, which is a city or a town in Alaska, um, a visit of a website, Seward Real Estate Inc., and a second visit of that um, just a, a minute later. Prosecutor Kanepa and Agent Eversledge walk through the various searches. There are many about houses for sale in Alaska, living in Alaska, jobs in Alaska, both before and after the murders. Here again, Joseph Scott Morgan. You know, we all go into a trial with a presumption of innocence in our system. However, when the prosecution is presenting this case to, to the jury, you have to draw upon the common sense of the jury and say, isn't it interesting you know, that this individual might be searching out things like, you know, the nature of what it's like to live in Alaska, or, you know, are there, are there jobs available, for instance, in Alaska? But Angela Wagner wasn't only Googling about Alaska. The Google search is symptoms of sexual penetration in a toddler, and that took place on January 18th, 2016. Um, and then the final lineup at the top is Trauma Responses in Children, um, a website um, that was visited. Here again, James Pilcher. You know, the other thing that, that came up from Angela's phone is that she had been searching for several months, 
previously on signs of sexual abuse in a toddler. We know that they will later accuse the rodents of, or somebody in the rodent family of abusing Jake's daughter. But one key thing that on Angela's phone, which kind of got me to thinking about this paranoia about sexual abuse and rape, she looked up rape culture in Alaska. Now, if you're moving to a place, is, is that one thing you would look up? Is that something you would Google? Is there rape culture up there? So obviously it's front of mind in this family for her. We're going to take a break. We'll be back in a moment. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, We've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. We are the voice of NASCAR. The green flag is in the air, and we are underway. The great American race. The Motor Racing Network. NASCAR Cup, Xfinity, and Craftsman Truck Series Racing. Live on your hometown radio station and MRN or NASCAR.com. Martinsville, Talladega, the Chicago Street Course. We have the side-by-side action, and last lap passes for the win. Photo finishes. Ryan Blaney will win. The voice of NASCAR, the Motor Racing Network. The prosecution and Agent Eveslidge turned to Angela Wagner's searches in March, just one month before the murders. There are first searches on Facebook um, for Hannah Mae Roden photos, an attempt to look at the friends of Hannah Rodens on her Facebook, and then um, another search on the same friends list of Hannah Roden on March 13th, 2016. Agent Eveslidge reads Angela's search history just days after the murders. These were um, searches pertaining to the homicides themselves. On April 27th, there was a Facebook search, Roden Family Massacre. Uh, There were reading of comments from the search, as well as Roden Family Shootings, and then uh, reading of two articles pertaining to the homicides from the Inquirer. When you've got a person that is essentially the matriarch of the family and who many people have pointed to as kind of the the brains behind the operation. And when you begin to see the searches that Angela was engaged in, when you marry that up with the physical evidence that you have and you see how all of that plays out, then I think by extension, you begin to compare these things. You know, look, you can search anything you want to on your phone. It doesn't necessarily mean that you're guilty. The defense points out that Angela's search history doesn't prove that she acted on the information. However, the texts between Angela and her husband, Billy Wagner, do shine a light on their dynamic. Eveslidge begins to read text messages aloud that were sent between Angela and Billy Wagner. 
Angela, I still love you, but I would like to spend some time with you. Just you, not all of our pro all our problems. Billy, that's not going to happen, and it's only going to get worse. Shit just starting. Angela, what are you talking about? I'm trying to understand. Billy, I am preparing my head for disaster. Angela, for what? Your dad or Jake? Billy, just everything has turned to shit. All. Angela, yes, I agree with you. Can I help you in any way? Billy, bullet to the head would fix me right up. She reads a text exchange four months before the murders. This one about Hannah Roden. Angela, all hell is happening here with Hannah and Angela, she is trying to keep Jake from getting her tomorrow. Billy, did you get her yet? Billy, you can run away with me. Angela, I promise if it weren't for and I would be gone. Billy, anytime you want. Billy, you just say the word and me, you, and babies will be off on the big adventure. Billy, just give me a sign and I will come running. James Pilcher. There were several between Billy and Angela that showed very, very tumultuous nature of the relationship. You know, Billy even said, I wish I could take you away. And she said, yeah, if it weren't for the kids and the grandkids, I would go with you, but I'm, I'm with them. More messages about Billy and Angela Wagner running away together sent three months before the murders. Billy, I am moving on. You are more than welcome to come, bring babies and come on. Angela, well, they are not our babies and I would never do that to George and Jake. I would have killed someone if they would have even mentioned going away with my babies. And if you really missed me, you would do anything or go through anything for me. Here's Jeff and Joseph Scott Morgan. Again, it's interesting because I don't think any of her texts or Google searches totally point to George's guilt, certainly. But they do paint a picture of maybe the dynamics of the family. The way I've, I've kind of come to view this case and in context to, to everything is that Angela is essentially the hub of the wagon wheel, okay? And everybody else that is involved in this, whether uh, it was Jake or Billy or, or, or George, who's currently on trial, um, they're extensions. They're like spokes in all of this. She's the hub that everything else radiates out from. And when you begin to, to take all of that into consideration, it, it does paint this picture of, of the world that these people existed in. They live in this world that's dominated by Angela. Prosecutor Kanepa and Agent Eversledge walk through text messages sent nearly two months before the murders. Billy, it's a fine mess. Angela, well, maybe it is worth you helping me work it out. As the date of the massacre draws near, a particularly disturbing message. Billy, I got a plan if you just take one damn minute and listen. Angela, okay, tell me. Billy, when I see you, this is the last time I am going to try. If the three of you don't take time to listen to me, then oh well. Angela, okay. Stephanie and Jeff. At that time, remember, Billy Wagner's father was dying. There was a custody dispute heating up between the Wagners and the Rodins. So when he's talking about things being, you know, really bad, perhaps that's what he was talking about. Not necessarily anything to do with murder. Knowing what we know now, you can put a lens on anything the Wagners did, whether it's something they Googled, something they said to each other, something they said 
in writing, where they went, what they did, all of those things can be scrutinized in a way that they couldn't before. Agent Eveslich then turns to text messages sent between Jake and Angela. These were sent just one month before the murders. It was a conversation of interest because it appeared to have been um, discussing parts that were purchased. Jake, okay also, at okay, I done paid for it all, but I do not need two three-quarter inch stuff now, so see if you can return if you can return it. Angela, I will take care of it. Jake, okay, it's a die and two fittings that I do not need. Pick up the other die and bit, still need them. Angela, okay, will do. Did you pay cash or put them on your card? Jake, cash. Angela, okay. And when you say that was of interest because it related to <coughs> items that have been purchased, what are you talking about specifically? Um, items that we believe were used to build suppressors. Um, there's information openly available on the internet um, about parts required um, that can be used to make suppressors. Tap and dies, for instance, are parts that can be used. Drill bits that are long um, can be used, and those are just components um, that are used to build suppressors. When it comes to the testimony of Julia Eveslage, uh, she's kind of had access to the beating heart of information. She has a unique insight into this world that that the Wagners inhabited because you, you begin to think about, well, is it a matter of them being able to talk about these things open and freely? Or are they going to have to create coded language in order to do this, in order to get messages through uh, to one another? Eveslich reads another text message with what appears to be coded language. George Wagner continues to stare at his feet. Jake, P.S., look in the cabinet at the bottom of stairs, not finished yet, and need one more. Angela, are there pink bunnies there? Jake, one is. Angela, what about sprinkles? Jake, ain't got them yet. They are coming in mail and at OK next Friday. Prosecutor Kanapa asked the agents why she thought the words, quote, sprinkles and, quote, pink bunnies were coded language. Well, first, there was a mention of um, and OK, which in the prior messages, there were parts to be picked up or exchanged at OK, which I interpreted to be OK auto parts. There were known purchases that we identified later from various auto parts stores, um, and as well as the conversation the pink bunnies. That was right on the heels of the discussion about the various parts um, regarding what you testified to um, could be used to make silencers, correct? Yes. Okay. Well, if you have an awareness where you feel as though you're going to have to speak in coded language, why in the world would you even offer up any conversation at all? As it turned out, you know, they were able to pick up a multiplicity of communications that were going on. And you begin to see this little trail of electronic breadcrumbs that have been created. Here again, Stephanie and Jeff. There's a lot made of Billy and Angela Wagner using code words when they're talking about sprinkles and, and pink bunnies. And I don't know, that might be a little bit of a leap if you know, we're all working on the assumption that these are code words. That could very well be, but those code words could be for anything. You know, as mentioned, it could be for auto parts. It could be for drugs. It could also be for ingredients to make a cake. Yeah, Steph, I mean, this is very circumstantial evidence, if it's even considered evidence at all. 
And it certainly doesn't point to George Wagner being guilty of murder. Local news jumps on this finding of coded language. Text messages between Angela and Jake, which include pink bunnies and sprinkles. Nothing to do with cartoons or ice cream. The prosecution says they are code words for firearm accessories that Jake ordered. Now, today's testimony also took jurors to Montana's border with Canada. That's where agents intercepted the Wagners who were driving back to the U.S. from Alaska more than a year before they ended up being arrested. Next, the prosecution calls up Agent Ryan Scheiderer. He wears a gray suit with a purple shirt and tie and was the lead investigator in the Roden family murders. The prosecution begins by laying out the evidence collected thus far in the investigation. So at this point, now you have um, collected ballistic evidence that we heard Matt White also talk about that matched the shell casings or cartridge casings that were fired at both scenes two and three. And we have the shoe print evidence that has now been linked to the Wagners via the Walmart receipt and the image of Angela Wagner. We had those forged custody documents, et cetera. So various pieces of evidence that you have collected. Can you tell us then, did this signify a, a change or a shift in the investigation? Yes, it did. Scheiderer's calm demeanor reflects his years of experience with the Ohio Bureau of Criminal Investigation. On the stand, he is serious and matter of fact. So at this point, they're suspects. The Wagners now have become suspects in these crimes. But at this point is when you first had both ballistic and other physical evidence tying them to the crime. Correct. correct. Before it was suspicion and things weren't adding up, now we have evidence. We have physical evidence that says that somebody at that residence at 260 Peterson Road, which the only people that lived there were George Wagner, Jake Wagner, and Angela Wagner, possessed the firearm that killed five people on Union Hill Road. Here again, investigative reporter James Pilcher. That flipped the switch from them being people of interest to being suspects. That was a pretty key moment. But with the Wagners in their sights, investigators had a problem. When you have an investigation with multiple suspects, one of the things you want to do is get a statement from each one of those. Well, the best way to do that is to have them separated. Like, you don't want them together when you talk to them because they feed off of each other. So one of the things we wanted to do is figure out how can we get a statement from all four Wagners at the same time where they're away from each other. And can you tell us what plan did you come up with in order to effectuate that? Our plan was to intercept them at the border of Canada and the United States when they returned back from Alaska. Scheiderer testified that they made preparations with their sister agency in North Dakota to intercept and interview the Wagners at that entry point. Agents also wanted to listen to the conversations the Wagners were having on their phones and wanted to plant a listening device in the Wagners' vehicle. But to do this, they needed a special warrant. The intercept warrant, so you can receive the intercept warrant through Ohio, so the warrant is good for the county in which the crimes are committed. The investigators needed intercept warrants for both Ohio and North Dakota, since that is where they would be installing the listening devices. Here again, Jeff and Joseph Scott Morgan. Can you explain what an intercept warrant is? First off, in order to get the warrant, you have to be able to go to a judge and have them sign off on this. Because, you know, we have certain protections, constitutional protections, that extend out to warrants that involve listening devices. So you have to state specifically what you're going to be listening to. And just think of it very simply like this. It's intercepted communications 
between parties of interest that are involved in in a case. If say, for instance, you're a suspect and they've gotten an intercept warrant for your phone. Well, if you're talking to another individual that might be a principal in the case, that gathering of information might be permissible. You can't just collect everything randomly. There has to be a reason why this data is collected and to make it viable for court. We're going to take a break. We'll be back in a moment. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. We are the voice of NASCAR. The green flag is in the air and we are underway. The great American race. The Motor Racing Network. NASCAR Cup, Xfinity, and Craftsman Truck Series Racing. Live on your hometown radio station and MRN or NASCAR.com. Martinsville, Talladega, the Chicago Street Course. We have the side-by-side action and last lap passes for the win. Photo finishes. Ryan Blaney will win. The voice of NASCAR, the Motor Racing Network. With the intercept warrants for North Dakota and Ohio in place, agents then traveled to North Dakota aboard an Air Force plane. Their plan to intercept the Wagners on May 20th, 2017. What happened when you arrived in North Dakota? We got off the plane and then we were alerted by uh, Customs and Border Patrol, HSI, that we were in the wrong state. What do you mean by that? The, as the Wagners had exited Alaska to go into Canada. They had to declare their port of entry once they were, you know, trying to get back into the United States. And at the point they declared they were coming through Sweetgrass, Montana. The agents then boarded another plane and headed to Montana. Assume now your timeline is shortened a little bit and you are now in a state that you did not make preparations with, correct? Correct. And it's also on a weekend? Correct. Okay. So tell me what you did. We scrambled. So uh, kind of panicked a little bit. Law enforcement scrambled to redo the applications for the intercept warrants, this time in Montana. We spent most of the night obtaining those warrants because we had to write them. They had not been written yet. So sometime around 5 a.m. Sunday morning, Montana time, we were alerted that uh, the Wagners were making better time than expected and that they would be arriving at Sweetgrass sooner than we thought. So we had to rush up to the border early that morning and await their arrival. Here again, James Pilcher. The Wagners went to Alaska one way. They crossed in North Dakota. So the investigators assumed they would come back the same way. Well, they didn't. 
they indicated they were going to come back through Montana. So here they had flown on a National Air Guard cargo plane with all of their stuff, had everything set up at the North Dakota border to intercept them. And then they found out, well, they're going to be crossing in Montana in 24 hours. They had to hop the plane, get on the phone with the Montana Attorney General's office, make sure they had the permission for the warrants that they needed. So they worked around the clock nonstop with no sleep and then stopped them at the Montana border in this tiny little U.S. Border Patrol facility that didn't have the really the capability to interview four people separately. But that's what they did. At this point, I'm getting the impression that they're not just putting George Wagner on trial. They are showing the entire Pike County community, the entire state, the entire country, what they went through to get here. They left no stone unturned, even if they admit during some of this, they made mistakes. Stephanie and Jeff. I thought it was so interesting to hear the play-by-play of how authorities had to switch things up from North Dakota to the Montana border. And, you know, you can kind of picture this and, and see how this is unfolding and how hectic it must have really been. And again, they've been tracking them for a long time. So the idea that they could have missed them and were able to adjust and switch their plan up pretty quickly, I thought was harrowing. I was I was frankly on the edge of my seat. And it goes back to behind the scenes, law enforcement is working in ways that the public is not aware of. They were tracking this family and they were moving in real time as the Wagners were moving to ultimately get the goods. With the Montana intercept warrants in hand, the agents intercepted the Wagners at the border in Montana. And were they each placed in a separate room and interview attempts made with each of them? Yes, the gig was up. They knew we were looking at them. More on that next time. For more information on the case and relevant photos, follow us on Instagram at KT underscore studios. The Piketon Massacre is produced by Stephanie Lidecker, Jeff Shane, Chris Kakaro, Andrew Arnau, Gabriel Castillo, and me, Courtney Armstrong. Editing and sound design by Jeff Twa. Music by Jared Astin. The Piketon Massacre is a production of iHeartRadio and KT Studios. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Please welcome our Fight County Dogwood Festival queen. Lord, I just thank you for bringing us all together as a community. Who could have killed eight family members in one night? I lost my best friend, and I'll never be the same because of that day. Four crime scenes, no DNA, no witnesses. The killer left those children laying in their mother's blood. The word that comes to mind is overkill. Who was the mastermind? I'm telling you, if they frame us, I'm not sitting in prison. One thing I learned, the smaller the town, the bigger the secrets. Be sure to watch our upcoming documentary, The Pike County Murders, A Family Massacre, premiering on NBC Universal's Oxygen Network and also streaming on Peacock this Thanksgiving Day weekend, November 24th and November 25th. Please check your local listings, and our hearts are with the Rodins and the Gilly families.
Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow the global story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. We are the voice of NASCAR. The green flag is in the air and we are underway. The great American race. The Motor Racing Network. NASCAR Cup, Xfinity, and Craftsman Truck Series Racing. Live on your hometown radio station and MRN or NASCAR.com. Martinsville, Talladega, the Chicago Street Course. We have the side-by-side action and last lap passes for the win. Photo finishes. Ryan Blaney will win. The voice of NASCAR, the Motor Racing Network work.